There's, there's nothing to me that I really, I think, enjoy more probably than knowing that I've accomplished what I set out to do. Last night, I had set out all day I was going to cut the grass. Now, some of you have been driving by this week wondering, is he going to cut the grass? <laughs> the weeds are getting pretty tall out there. I mean, I know now... And I understand he's got some things to do, he's got four kids, and yada, yada, yada. But cut the grass, man, you know? So I'd set out all day long, I was going to cut the grass. Well, I had to go buy a new weed eater yesterday, and you know, so I had to put that thing together and figure out how it was going to work and all that stuff. And, of course, the line runs out all the time, you know, you got to feed that back through. And so by the time I started on the mower, it was dark. Now, some of you have driven by before and thinking, why is he cutting the grass at night? But then you were the same one who said, why didn't he cut the grass? So, you know, don't complain. But, but so I was cutting the grass last night, and I just determined, I, I, I thought, well, all anybody's going to see tomorrow is the front yard. Because if you're looking at the backyard, you know, you got some issues, all right? I'm just, just saying. And so I thought, you know, really all I got to do is cut the front yard. I mean, it's dark, you know, I got the headlights on, I just cut it real low, nobody's going to see. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to finish the job. So I don't know, it was something about 8 o'clock or so, and I finally turned to the backyard and, and get back there and finally cut it and, and all of that. And I just, I, you know, I went to bed last night with a sense of accomplishment. I cut the grass. I finished the job. I, I mean, I even cut behind the fence back there. I just thought, you know, I'm going for it. And I ran through the mud and everything. I'm going, you know. So I was dirty and filthy, and, you know, I had grass all over my face and my eyes and everything, and, but I finished it. Now, you probably have things like that as well. You say, you know what? I'm going to accomplish that. You set a goal. You've been given responsibility, whatever it may be. And you say, you know, there's something about that when I just accomplish what was set for me to get done. This morning, I want us to, to look at the scripture where Jesus pronounces that all that God had sent him to do was accomplished. It's finished. He did it. Turn with me to John chapter 19. John is over in the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you've got a copy of the Scripture, I encourage you to turn there. If not, you'll see inside your bulletin there's a little insert with the Scripture written there. You can look at that. And I believe everything should be working this morning to scan the sermon code and, and go there. John chapter 19 where we'll pick it up in verse 28, is right at the end of the time when Jesus is on the cross. He's about to draw his last few breaths, and, and what we're going to see today is, is his pronouncement of everything's done, and we'll see the truth from that and then its implications. And both are extremely powerful. We have to look at first the truth, what, what really did he accomplish, and then the implications for our lives even today, so many years later. So let's read the scripture, if you would. Look in John 19, verse 28. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Two different parts this morning to the sermon. You'll see one on the front side of that sheet, the other on the back side of that sheet. On the cross it is finished, and then because of the cross 
it is finished. So we're going to look first at the truth. What did Jesus accomplish? And then secondly, for our lives today, what does that truly mean? There are three things that he accomplished by going to the cross. And what we see in this short few verses here and summed up by his statement, it is finished. Three things that are vital to our faith. That if we miss these things, then we have missed the crux of Christianity. We have missed the crux of our faith. If we miss what Jesus did for us on the cross, we've missed it all. The, the first thing that we see is that Jesus obeyed completely. You'll see three things there on your bulletin outline. If you like to follow along, that's fine. Jesus obeyed completely. Look at verse 28. When Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished and that Scripture might be fulfilled, This has been the story of his whole life. From the time that he was born, Matthew records in his gospel in the first couple of chapters, the birth of Jesus in his early first couple of years is a fulfillment of Scripture. Matthew lists five different kinds of fulfillments that Jesus is in fact fulfilling what God sent him to do, how God had orchestrated that Jesus always along the way did exactly what God had sent him to do. In fact, his whole ministry was about that. As Jesus grew up and he began his public ministry, what we see is that all he says, look, I'm just doing what God the Father sent me to do. In fact, he says, I only do what I see my Father doing, and I only do what I, what I hear my Father telling me to do. That was what Jesus was all about. His birth, his early life, his ministry, all about simply being obedient to his Heavenly Father. He never stopped. He did it completely, and he did it perfectly. You say, so what? All right. So he was a good guy. Why does it even matter that Jesus obeyed completely? Well, I want you to know that that, it's often left out, the the part about him living perfectly, but it is the only reason that his death and resurrection can matter for us in that he obeyed completely, because here's why. He obeyed completely because we could not. If, If you understand that that his perfect obedience matters, that he's the only one who has ever lived who perfectly obeyed God's laws and his will, then you'll understand how important it is. He showed us what truly living for God looks like and involves. The truth is that I can't live up to God's standard of righteousness. I can't do it. Both from Scripture and in my own life, I learned that I am unrighteous, that I I, I have sinned. I cannot live up to God's standard. And so the only way that I can receive that righteousness is for it to be given to me by someone who is perfect. I can't manufacture it. I can't try it on my own. You know and I know we've tried. We've tried to be good. We've tried to do everything right. We've tried to be perfect. And that lasts for about three or four seconds. And then those thoughts start to come in your mind that are impure and unhealthy and sinful. Those words start to come out of your mouth that aren't exactly helpful for the situation. Those things that you do recur again and we fall into sin. We we recognize we cannot manufacture righteousness on our own. It has to be given to us. It has to be something that we receive from the outside. And only Jesus, who was perfectly righteous, can give us that. We need righteousness to be able to stand before God. We have none. Jesus had it all. His life matters. The fact that Jesus did not sin matters. It's not some add-on to his life. It is the crux of his life. So when folks ask you, do you believe that Jesus sinned? According to Scripture, we must say, no, he did not sin, and it matters because only he can give me perfect righteousness to allow me to stand before God. If he sinned, he's no different than me. And if he sinned, what good is he? 
If he sinned, how can he stand before God? He obeyed completely. We see that the scripture might be fulfilled. Everything that God sent him to do, he did. He obeyed completely. Secondly, Jesus suffered immeasurably. He obeyed and then he suffered. And in fact, his obedience brought on the suffering. Look at the end of verse 28. He says, I'm thirsty. And then a jar full of sour wine sitting there, so they fix it on a sponge and and put it up to him. And he takes it. Now, earlier in the story, he was offered a drink that most scholars believe would have dulled some of the pain for him. And he refused it. And most scholars that that I was studying this week, the folks that I was reading, trying to understand what exactly were they offering him, most of the folks that I read believe that this would have simply intensified the pain, and guess what? He took it. He suffered immeasurably. I mean, if you think about his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you know the story, Jesus went on the night that he was arrested, he's praying to his heavenly Father, Lord, if there's any other way we can go about this, let's do that, but not my will but yours be done. He suffers, he says his soul was was sorrowful to the point of death. I mean, imagine some of you have been through that kind of pain in your life. And it's not physical, it's psychological, it's emotional, and you've just been so down that you think, this may kill me, literally, I may die because I am so overwhelmed. And then he faces the denial of one of his closest friends, Peter the Apostle. When asked, do you know Jesus? Hey, you were with him, right? Now, you were one of his disciples. With cursing, he says, I don't even know who you're talking about. Imagine the emotional pain of one of your closest friends simply turning his back on you. Some of you have been there. And then he goes on to face an unfair trial. The scripture recounts for us that they tried to get witnesses to come and prove and say something that Jesus had done that was not true or right or whatever. And the scripture tells us they could find none. And so all they had were a bunch of lies. Jesus faces an unfair trial and yet he's convicted anyway. And that's when the physical pain begins. Because they beat him and they whip him within inches of his life and they spit on him and they punch him. And then he's crucified. A death that none of us can even imagine because it's no longer allowed in our world today. But it was the most excruciating and cruel form of death that has ever been conceived in the mind of people. And there on the cross... The most suffering of all, what he experienced, was the abandonment of God himself. The heavenly Father, Jesus, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Father looks down on his Son and sees nothing but sin and has to turn his back. And Jesus, the ultimate suffering, is abandoned by his heavenly Father. Why? Why did he suffer? Why was that necessary for him to go through? Why why was that important Well, he suffered to show us what the penalty for sin looks like. That's what we deserve, you understand. That's what he took is what we deserve for our sin. He suffered abandonment by God so that we don't have to be abandoned by God. He suffered to show us how to endure suffering in the midst of it. He suffered and he was broken and he was poured out as a demonstration of his love for us. He suffered so when you suffer... He gets it. He understands. He's not experienced anything 
that is not common to the human experience. And you've not experienced anything that he did not already go through. He suffered on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to live in it. He obeyed completely because we couldn't. He, he suffered so that we wouldn't have to. And, and then the third thing we see here in verse 30 is that he died sacrificially. When Jesus had received the sour wine, it says, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, I want to spend just a couple of minutes explaining to you that this wasn't just some other man dying. This was the sacrifice that God had ordained for our sins. I want to rewind just a little bit and go back to the very beginning of Scripture. And what we see in Genesis is that God is both creator and judge. And as judge, he has set the standard for what we are to live up to, which is who he is, and that is holiness and perfection. God cannot set a standard lower than what he is. He sets the standard exactly who he is, holy and perfect. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve rebel against God and Because of their sin, all humankind since then has inherited a sinful nature. We're born to sin. That's strike one against us. And out of that sinful nature, we sin. That's strike two. And it's because of that sin and the guilt that we incur because of it that we are alienated from God, enemies of His. That's strike three. And if you know anything about the game, three strikes and you're out. We're out. God is the judge. He's the one who set the standard. We're the ones who have fallen short, not him. And we've got three strikes against us and no hope unless. And what we see, the unless in the scripture, is that God's system of justice, his way for us to be reconciled to him, is through a sacrifice, through death. And that's always what God has required. Because unless we are reconciled and restored, we're still alienated from him, and God wants us to be restored to him, and so he has provided the way, but it's his system we must operate by. He's judge, he's creator, not our system. We operate by his. And so in the Old Testament, the system that was set up to preview eventually what Jesus would do once and for all was a sacrificial system of animals. And in the Old Testament, what you see is a spotless animal was brought before the priest at the altar. A person would place his or her hands on that animal, signifying I'm identifying with my sin here, knowing that this animal is now my substitute. The animal is then killed to show the penalty for sin should be death in every case. And then the blood was sprinkled, symbolizing that this person who brought this animal is now spared because of the sacrifice and substitute. That was the Old Testament system. It simply previews what was to come. The blood there being the most important. You understand that what's most precious to God, which is His holiness, when it is offended, requires what's most precious to us, which is life. Blood. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's clear that God's forgiveness and reconciliation to Him only comes through blood being spilled. That's it. Not through doing something good and making up for it, but through death. And those Old Testament animal sacrifices really were just a preview of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. The late British theologian by the name of John Stott put it this way. Listen to this. I think he's captured it. The concept of substitution and sacrifice may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. 
Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone, and God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Well, that, that's, that captures it. That's the idea of substitution. So we must come to the realization, each one of us individually, that Jesus was our substitute and there's no other way for us to meet the holiness and righteousness of God and be provided salvation from His judgment. There's no other way but Jesus Christ. And so instead of inflicting judgment on us, God in Jesus took it for us. Now Stott goes on to mention that our biggest problem as humans, is that we cannot stand to admit the seriousness of our sin and the hopelessness of our case. We don't want to admit that the only alternative is hell. We don't want to admit that. We don't want to, to believe that we're indebted to Jesus on the cross. We believe that because we're the ones who messed up and we're the ones who should pay, that therefore we also can pay. Now, maybe you don't struggle with that when I say those words about Jesus, but I, I think we all struggle with that to some degree. Think about it today. If somebody takes you out to lunch, you're going to fight over that check, aren't you? No, 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 no. no. I got it. No, I got it. No, no. No, let me get it this time. No, no, no. And you had a great lunch, and you wind up mad at each other because you can't figure out who's going to pay for it. I mean, we're like that, aren't we? No, I've got this. We don't want to let someone else do something for us. And sometimes we say, you know, I don't really have the money to go out to eat. And they offer to pay for it. And then we feel sort of awkward because, well, I, don't, I can't pay. And we, we feel weird when somebody does something that we feel that we should or we can do. We, we struggle to bring ourselves to the point where we say, I, I'm spiritually bankrupt. I have no way to pay, and I need somebody to bail me out. You realize that salvation is dependent upon us being at that point <laughs> and recognizing we are spiritually bankrupt, that we cannot pay what we owe, and somebody needs to bail us out. It's amazing that so many people, it seems, would rather die and go to hell than to repent, admit their need for a Savior, and believe in Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to do that. Coming to the cross is not a stance of pride, but one of deep, deep humility. A prayer that says, Lord, I'm bankrupt. I cannot pay. I deserve to be punished. You took my punishment. I need your forgiveness. You are my only hope. On the cross, Jesus, out of his unconditional love, finished what the Heavenly Father sent him to do. He obeyed completely because we could not. He suffered immeasurably so that we wouldn't have to, and he died in our place. That's the truth. I mean, that, that's captured right there in those few little verses summed up in Jesus' statement. Now, what difference should that make in our lives today? I hope you're already seeing it. But in case you need a little bit more, something you can say, all right, I can repeat that in my mind. I can go with that. Three implications this morning. Because of the cross, it is finished. On the cross, it is finished. And also, because of the cross, it is finished. Because what we find in Scripture is that yesterday, because of the cross, yesterday is restored. Look back on your life for a second. Those images come to your mind. Just think back the timeline of your life. It's probably not pretty, is it? 
I mean, when you compare yourself, and you're looking back, you compare yourself real quick to the perfection and holiness of God. All we're going to find, at least all I find, and I'm assuming that all you're finding as well as you think about it, is sin, evil desires, and failure. That's it. That's all I got. I got nothing. We see how we've messed up our lives. We see the problems we've caused. We've seen the pain. And then what we have to believe based upon the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what Paul said in Galatians 2, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. We have to believe the truth that Paul said in Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, that you're a new creation. The old is gone. And so I can say with confidence this morning, that if I look back in my life and I compare myself to the perfection and holiness of God, I am bankrupt. When I look back on my life and I understand that when, when Jesus was crucified, my old nature was crucified as well, that I can say I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. The old person of that sinful nature is gone. And when Jesus crucified, that old was, was crucified, that old person in me was crucified as well. When he died, he took all my sin. Not just sin in a broad sense, but each individual sin and collectively all of it. He took all my failure. He took all my evil desires and he forgave it all. Every bit of it. Not just part. Not just the part that I would forgive. Not just the part that, eh, that's not too bad. All of it. And because all I'm claiming and hiding behind is the blood covering of Jesus Christ, my only hope to gain the righteousness of God, because of that... My yesterday is restored. It's forgiven. It's done away with. Now, I may still deal with the consequences of my actions from the past. But I'm no longer under the penalty of my sin. The same is true for you. I don't have to look back with guilt and shame anymore. I can look back with gratitude and humility. Yesterday is finished. It's restored. It's over, gone, never held against me again. So you know what? You don't have to keep living in the past. You don't. Some of you came to the to church this morning just guilty. Guilty. Well, I'm going to walk in there, but take my medicine. It's Easter. Take my lumps. Walk out and just pray. I don't have to do that again for a long time. Now, some, some of us walked in that way this morning. I mean, just... If all those people in there knew who I really was, I mean, they'd lock the doors and bolt them shut. I mean, they would not let me in there. The roof is going to cave in when I walk in that place. Some of us walked in this morning just full of guilt and shame. Why? Because all we do is live in the past of our past mistakes, sin, and failure. The truth is that when Jesus died, he provided for us the opportunity to have yesterday restored and forgiven and done away with, and we don't have to live in the past any longer. Some, that's all you need to get today. You just need to get that you don't have to live in the past, that that stuff doesn't have to control you. You don't have to carry around the guilt and the shame of what you've done. You don't. Because when Jesus died, he forgave it all, and he set you free from the life of sin and death. And gave you new life. Yesterday's restored. And because of that, today is renewed. Every day when I wake up, I can again live the new life that God has given me. Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's not just that yesterday is restored, but today is renewed because I have Jesus by His Holy Spirit living inside of me.
Now, I still live in a sinful world, and I'm still going to commit sins because I'm not yet with with Jesus in heaven forever. But Christ lives in me, and I'm a new creation. That's not some name it, claim it kind of theology. That's just basic truth from the Scripture. If you're not claiming those truths in your life that you've been made new, you've missed the gospel. You've missed the whole point of why Jesus went to the cross. You've missed it. And that matters for each day because I have new life. Today is renewed with the love, with the grace, with the forgiveness and the peace of Jesus. My difficult reality that I live in each and every day as a human being is overwhelmed by the incredible reality that Jesus loves me, He died for me, and He is inside of me now, and He is my life. You know what? Because of that, you can start fresh every day. You can. This isn't the power of positive thinking. I hope if you've been here a little bit by now, you know I'm not trying to give you the power of positive thinking. I just want you to have the truth of Scripture. You can start fresh every day. Yesterday's been restored. Today is renewed each and every day because Jesus is alive and He's alive in you if you're a believer in Him. And then not only that, but tomorrow is reversed. Tomorrow's reversed. Yesterday restored. Today renewed. Tomorrow reversed. Paul said it best in Romans chapter 6. He said the wages for sin is death. The payment that we deserve for our sin is to be killed. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our tomorrow is different than it would have been apart from Jesus. He didn't stay dead. He didn't. The cross is important, but the resurrection is also important. That's what we celebrate today. Yes, He died for our sins, and yes, He was buried, and yes, He took our sins, but He was raised again to give us A reversal on tomorrow. New life forevermore. The hymn says, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future, life is worth the living just because He lives. Tomorrow's reversed. So you know what? You can look forward to what God's going to do. Both in your life here on earth and forever when He restores the kingdom of God completely in heaven, you can look forward to what God will do. Some of you have such a dread of the future. I'm so worried about what's going to happen. I understand that we're human and we've got things that we deal with, and I, I get it because I do, I do it too. But some of us today are so terrified of what's coming. I have no idea what to expect. Let me tell you, when you know Jesus, tomorrow is reversed, and no matter what happens, you are in His hand and His promises will never fail you. Tomorrow's reversed. It's all been finished because of what Jesus has done. The only question that remains to be asked this morning is, have you humbled yourself and received that great salvation that He offers? Or are you still thinking that you should and therefore you can pay for your own sin? There are only two alternatives that God gives us. There's repentance, faith, surrender to Jesus, or hell. There's no no in-between. There's no other alternative. There's only one way to get His righteousness given to you, and that is through repentance, faith, surrender to Jesus. That's it. And thankfully, that's it. (laughs) Because try as we may, we can't be righteous. We've got to have it given to us. And praise God that on the cross, Jesus was made sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God, Paul wrote. Will you receive it today? Simply by faith. 
The prayer is, Jesus, you gave your life for mine, and so I give my life to you. Save me. Take over. Live in me. Restore me. Make me new. Forgive me. The gift of salvation through the cross and resurrection is meant first to be received. Not to be earned, but simply received. Hands out, open, I've got nothing, Lord, I receive it. And then it's meant to be celebrated, which is what we're doing today and how we'll close our service. In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate a symbol of the death of Jesus Christ by taking what you may call communion or the Lord's Supper. As you take it, I simply want the words that Jesus spoke to us on the cross to resonate. It is finished. Yesterday's been restored, today is renewed, and tomorrow is reversed. It's finished. And maybe for the very first time, you'd simply say, Lord, I'm coming empty-handed to you. I can't get any righteousness apart from you, and so I give my life completely to you. And you'd pray, and you'd receive by faith the great salvation of God through Jesus. Or maybe today you'd say, I just need to renew that commitment to him. I've been drifting. Today I'm face-to-face with the reality that I've received it, but I'm not celebrating, and I'm not living in light of it. And so today the call as we take the Lord's Supper in a moment, the call is to repentance, a turning from sin and a turning to Jesus. I want you to to feel free that if, if you are a member of the family of God, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's open for you today. You're more than welcome to take the cracker and the juice that will symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus and certainly participate with us. It's open for all who are believers in Jesus today. And you say, I'm not sure if I'm a believer in Jesus. In just a moment, when our deacons hand this out, I'll be standing right here. Let me tell you, we will wait all day long if you need to say, you know what, today I need to give my life to the Lord. We'll wait all day. And that's fine. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll ask our deacons to join me down front, and we'll distribute things, and the way that it will go will be like this. You'll receive a small little cracker, and just hang on to it. I'll read a scripture, I'll pray, and then we'll take that together as a family. And then after that, we'll hand out a little cup of juice. Hang on to it, I'll read a scripture, I'll pray, and then we will drink that together. Then we will stand, as the disciples did, and close with a hymn. And we'll be dismissed after that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth that we've seen in your scripture. We thank you for its implications. Make it real in our lives. As we celebrate the great gift of salvation today through communion, may we not just go through the motions, but Lord, drive the meaning deep into our hearts. Thank you that it is finished. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.